Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Yeah, 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 yeah. Praise the good Lord. How many of you are excited to be here today? Lord, have mercy. Every now and then you need to pause and realize he's not just was God. He's not going to be God. He was, he is, and will be, and always has been what? Oh my goodness. Hallelujah to the living God. Amen. Let's get ready to get in the word of God. Let's get ready to get in the scriptures. Ephesians 6, 17a. While you're turning there, thank you for your generosity. We're going to get some stuff done around here as we're getting ready for some things, but want to get the building more in lookable shape. Somebody say amen. 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 Well, let's go ahead and um, read. One, two, three, read. Amen. That's it today. That's all we're going, but it's more than enough. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we are in need of you. There are people under the sound of my voice that are in desperate need of breakthrough. And Lord God, we're trusting and believing that you're going to give breakthroughs today in people's lives in ways that they have been leaving alone and have allowed to be dormant for quite some time. And so God, I'm praying in the mighty name of Jesus that you would break every bit of bondage and the faculties of your people. God, we honor you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep standing, our message for today. I want you to look at somebody and say, neighbor, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. That's the title today, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. You may be seated in the presence of Jesus. Yes, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Um, I remember when, back in the day that uh, uh, commercials were a lot simpler than they are nowadays. You know, they were more accessible. You know, uh, back, uh, nowadays you got commercials where they tell you about a drug and what it will do to benefit you. But as the commercial goes on, they give you all of this foo-foo people, somebody dancing and, you know, doing like this, and, and then somebody holding hands by the, by, the, by the beach and all of that, and then all of a sudden they start saying a bunch of other things. They say, well, if you're this, it can cause your eyeballs to come out. It can cause your toenails to crack up. Your liver will fail, heart disease, high blood pressure, your life may end. Uh, your next generation may not know who you are. I mean, just all of the, you like, if all of these side effects are here, why am I taking them? I mean, that's a con. To me, those, con- those commercials, and then the dude is still talking. 
And they're showing pictures about the medicine. And so just complex to me. But back in the day, we had simple commercials. We had simple little, little, little things that helped us. Y'all remember Schoolhouse Rock? Uh, Conjunction Junction. If you ain't saved, you know that. Amen. Amen. We had it. It was accessible. Uh, electricity. Oh, y'all ain't know about see only a few of y'all. Yeah, that, 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 that was that was that was simple back then. They even had another commercial about the dragon lady. Y'all remember dragon lady commercial? I'm dating myself. See, y'all ain't know about that. That was about smoking and the hazards of smoking. But um, one of my favorite ones from back in the day, it was the shortest commercial, I think, in the history of commercials. So the guy would put a frying pan out, turn it up real hot. He'd get an egg, and he'd say, this is your brain. Then he cracked the egg, put it in the pan, and start frying. He said, this is your brain on drugs. Any questions? <laughs> that's what I want to say to you today. That same egg, that's your brain. That frying pan, when it gets cracked and you put it in there, this is your brain on the enemy's influences. Any questions? Whether you know it or not, your hardest battlefield isn't your economics. Your hardest battlefield isn't your sexuality. Your toughest battlefield isn't your job. Your t even your family isn't your toughest battlefield. Your toughest battlefield it was, is what goes on in here. If you don't get your mind, if I don't get our mind, my mind in order, everything in my life is fair game for the enemy. In other words, if you want to see the practical aptitude of someone's lifestyle, you, it, it can all be traced back to what's going on in the mind. That's why the Bible has so much to say about the mind. It talks about putting on the mind of Christ. It says, be uh, renewed in the spirit of your mind. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's so many passages that talk about the nature of the mind and the impact of stinking thinking and faulty thoughting in our lives. And if we don't begin as believers to take hold of and maximize in our lives what it means to get, God has given you through Christ the ability to get control of your mind. It's not something that automatically happens by the Spirit. The Spirit puts in your hands the commitment that he will join you as you fight the mentalities in your life that are trifling. Now, what, you may be looking at me funny like you ain't got no trifling thoughts. Well, I'll help lead you out. I got some trifling stuff in me. I got some stinking thinking in me. Ain't nobody going to talk back to me. I got some stuff yet until I die that I need the God of heaven to encourage me to deal with, to encourage me to work on and to move past. So if you're sitting in here like ain't nothing wrong with you, the Bible says you're a liar and the truth ain't in you. Because all of us got challenges that we need God to absolutely, unadulteratedly encourage us to engage, and so it's not unlike why we would come upon a text like this where Paul is framing out for us what it means to put on the whole armor of God. Somebody say whole armor. 
it is of paramount importance that we be particularly pertinent about protecting and putting in what is necessary for our minds to be functionally under the guise and protection of the living God and to root out stuff that's yet in our mind that has taken deep root in it. And so which brings me to my first point, uh, in a mind is a terrible thing to waste. I got one point and one point only. If you're going to realize that reality and deal with it, you must know that your mind is the most important spiritual organ. Your mind is the most important spiritual organ. Look at what the text says. It says, take, stop. That's enough right there. This is powerful because prior to this section in the text, um, prior to the shield of faith that we talked about last time, uh, everything else is to be put on. In other words, the first three things, uh, the first things we, we, we want to put on. But now the last Three or four things, particularly the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of faith, I mean the sword of, of the spirit, which is the word of God, and then later we'll see prayer. Those are weapons that you pick up, not put on. Now what's interesting is the word take in the original is in the middle voice, which means, which means that it, 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 it's, it, 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 it means that it's reflexive, meaning it's something you do for yourself not something someone else can do for you. You can't ask anybody to help me put on the helmet of salvation. The Bible makes it your responsibility as a believer to grab a hold of everything Christ through his death has made available to you. When you look at this reality of this, the, the word can be actually translated as grab. Somebody say grab. That there's some things that God has for you in your life, that's in your life. Now, I'm not talking about no foolish, prophetic, or pathetic promise. I'm talking about what he's actually put in your life that is always in the vicinity of you. In other words, all of the armor is, all, wherever you walk and go, your armor is in a spiritual backpack on you. The question is not, do you have the stuff? The question is, are you going to make, make use of it, and are you going to maximize and grow in your use? As a soldier... You have to begin to grow in using your weapon. Uh, 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 one of the things that I have to do in the next few weeks is I got to go back to the range. Amen. The range is pretty fun. Because you can go to the range, and I remember the first time I went to the range some, several years ago, and, and I was nice for the first time. I was blah, 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 but I was nice. You understand what I'm saying? But if I'd have kept going, if I keep going, I'd become a better marksman with my weapon. We as believers have to daily develop our marksmanship with executing what God has for us in relation to these weapons that we grow in as youth. The problem with many of us is the time that we take up stuff is when a problem happens. The, the Bible says put on the armor of God so you were prepared for the evil day. The evil day isn't when you put it on. You have it on as a regular part of it. So what you do is you act, you, 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 you always ready for something to pop off. You understand what I'm saying? You walk around like you can even make your little bow legged, you know what I'm saying? And walk around like that. You're like, what's about to pop off? Because you always, as a believer, need to be scrappy in the spirit. I don't know if you remember Scrappy Doo. Remember Scrappy Doo off Scooby Doo? He always was ready for a fight. Scrappy was like, let me at him, let me at him. I used to like Scrappy. Scooby was, a, his uncle was a sucker. You know, his little youngin, little youngin was ready to get at him. Little small joker, too. But spiritually, you're Scrappy Doo, not Scooby Doo. 
So when we look at the helmet of salvation, it harkens back to the messianic armor of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 59, 17. Over there, it talks about Jesus Christ's armor, the Messiah armor. It prophetically speaks of him in his post-resurrection state. It's pointing to the fact that post his resurrection, when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. In other words, Jesus basically said, I have been given, even though I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm second in the Godhead in, and, and I'm submissive to the Father, he's delivered over me full authority over everything in the universe. You, ain't, you don't know when to shout. Um, but, 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 but the beautiful thing about that reality is, is that when Jesus died and got up from the grave, an armory like on the matrix opened up. You remember on the Matrix when they went to join and all of the guns and stuff just flew out of there and they, they, their jackets went like that? That's how, that's, that's how you're on the spirit with your linen outfit on. When you go and get your stuff, whoa, your stuff, go back in there, blow in the wind, you know what I'm saying? And then you grab your weapons and put your weapons on and take them up. Because this messianic armor, the, the word here, interesting, for the helmet of salvation is the helmet of Shua which is short for Yahshua or Yahshua's armor or the armor of Jesus. Now, when we talk about over here, what's powerful is that this the deliverance or the word for save or salvation in the Old Testament was situational deliverance. So what happened is, is people were trusting God in situations that they couldn't get themselves out of. So what they would do is they would say, deliver me, O Lord. That deliverance was the belief that God would provide them salvation that would get them out of situations of brokenness. Take you over to the New Testament. The word over there is soter, where we get our idea of soteriology from, where we study the doctrine of salvation. When you, when you inject in, in soter, shua, and you look at the reality of, not only does God deliver you from situations, but this is how powerful your salvation and your helmet of salvation is. God doesn't always deliver you from situations but he'll deliver you while you're in the situation. In other words, bombs can be dropping around you and hell can be breaking loose around you, but because of the helmet of salvation, God doesn't have to deliver you from the situation, but he can make you feel like you're in the middle of the worst trial, the worst hellacious circumstance in your life, and because of the might of God keeping your mind from going crazy and you going off the space somewhere, you can be standing in the midst of tumbling cars in Hurricane Harvey or whatever kind of hurricane, and spiritually you can stand there because of what God has done for you. That's why I like when David says, he says, he said, hear me when I cry in Psalm 4, 1, O Lord, because thou hast delivered me in my distress. Notice the preposition said, it didn't say he delivered him from his distress. Uh, he delivered him in his distress. I'm just trying to let you know that sometimes what you're going on is sovereign activity of God showing you what you're made of and forcing you to use armor. Some of you are in something right now where you've been praying for deliverance and God says, I'm not going to deliver you until you feel like you're delivered before you get out of it. Oh, ain't nobody gonna talk back right there. Let me see if I can make it plain. A father had did all his work teaching his son how to swim. And the child felt comfortable, and he was a great swimmer while his dad was near. The child was like two feet tall, three feet tall, in the pool just swimming like a fish. And the father was near, and so he was like, all right, you're doing good. So he picked him up the next time, threw him into 12 feet. Child started going off. He said, stop, chill out. 
Calm down. Child was saying, he, you, he knew he wasn't, he was looking at him, he wasn't drowning, so he didn't have to jump in. And so he says, be still. And the child just learned how to be still. Then he said, move your legs. And he started doing like this with his legs, real slow, and he started floating. Then all of a sudden, he said, now do your hands. He started doing like that. And if the father hadn't thrown him into deep water, he would have known, he would have never known that he can swim in some deep stuff unless the father threw him in some deep stuff. All I'm saying is, is God is taking you through what you're going through is because he trusts what he's invested in you. And what he's doing is he said, I've already trained you in smaller water. Now I'm throwing you into some deep stuff now in your life so that you can learn how to swim in the deep water just like you were already swimming in the shallow water. Really, it's no different because you're still trusting in the same one who gave you the skills to do it. So we talk about this idea of taking up the helmet of salvation. We have to know that in the reality of this, Paul talks about it even in 1 Thessalonians 5.8. He said, but since we belong today, I love that, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes to talk about what does the helmet of the hope of salvation have to do with the helmet of salvation. But one of the things that you have to know is the Roman soldier or the soldier would have on a helmet. And this helmet was very, very important because it was made to go around the ears go down to the back of the neck, and not only go on the back of the neck, but come over, arch over the eye a little bit, come out a little bit, go down over the nose, and protect you. Now, the main thing is protecting is the mind. Somebody say the mind. Because one of the things that the enemy would do is the enemy, of course, would shoot flaming arrows, as we found out last week, but the enemy would also try to stab them with a sword. And so they knew that if no matter how skillful you are, see this is what can happen, you can get your arm cut off and still fight. You can have your leg wounded and still fight. You can even have your shoulder pierced, but if, a, if something goes through the brain, you are fully disabled from everything. That's what's so important for you to know about the helmet of salvation is if the enemy shuts down your mind, he can shut down everything in your life. That's why the main place where the enemy wants to attack is your mind because if he gets your mind, you'll take off the breastplate of righteousness. If he gets to your mind, you'll put down the shield of faith. If he gets to your mind you'll put down the sword of the spirit which is the word of God if he gets to your mind you'll put down truth if you get to your mind he'll put away your shoes of the gospel of peace but if but if your mind is kept he'll keep you God will keep you in ways that you'll never understand one of the, if you remember in Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 when Satan attacked Eve he didn't throw the fruit at her Guess what he did? He got to her mind. He loves to plant stuff in your mind. He said to her, did God say? Now, I know ain't nobody in here ever been 
off with the enemy where he ever said something crazy to you out of nowhere. You ever had something just pop into your mind out of nowhere? You don't know what the world did that come from? You know what I'm saying? Go kill that person. Like, dang. Kill him? Now, now, okay, y'all looking at me funny. Just, just leave your spouse and go with that person. Just leave your job and just do you. Leave, you, you know, like, you, you're like, where in the world, like, I wasn't even trying to think that thing. Guess what that is? The enemy. The enemy loves to put stuff in your mind. The question is, does it walk in your mind, run through your mind, walk in your mind, sit in your mind, or stand in your mind? You have to decide that because you have to begin to fight the enemy's faculties of trying to cause you to be brain dead in many areas of your life. See, if the enemy can get you to be brain dead, you know that brain dead means nothing in your body works. And that's what happened to a guy. He had brain trauma, and, the end, and he got hit with trauma to his head, and it caused his brain to shut down. And even though they had him on a breathing machine, the, it says that he is basically medically dead. I remember when I was in, um, when I was in the early part of my walk, and in the early part of my walk, I, I, you know, I, I was in a charismatic church. You know, we, you know, speaking in tongues, prophesying, everything, you know, everything, you know, power going forth and everything, and you know, but there was also some stuff because the Bible wasn't out much that I, I would be like, as a young believer, I would just, you know, I, I, don't, I didn't know too much church etiquette. So I'm trying to understand where this is in the Bible because I saw people, you know, falling out. And I was like, dang, I don't see that. People talking about gold dust. I didn't see that. People talking about laughing in the spirit. People barking like a dog. Row, row. Like, I'm barking in the spirit. I was like, wow. That, I was like, that don't seem like, like not from the kingdom. You understand what I'm saying? Like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, row, row in the spirit, like in the back. Row, row. I was like, what? I was like, I was like, they said, go in and get your miracle. And I was like, how's barking a miracle? Like, that seems like regression. You know, the only person I seen turn into an animal was Nebuchadnezzar when he didn't humble himself. So that's the problem when you have a Bible. So, one of the times during that time, I ended up saying, that's from the devil. And I can remember I said that. And the enemy put into my mind, I thought it was, Lord, that you blaspheme the spirit. So for two years straight, I wrestled with whether or not I lost my salvation. So I was like, man, I blaspheme the spirit. The Bible says that there's no forgiveness if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So for two years, I'm in my first year seminary. I'm not struggling with the teleological or ontological argument of God, my theology proper, my soteriology, my ecclesiology. I'm not struggling with where the Bible came from, my bibliology. I'm struggling literally with whether or not I'm saved because of this particular thing. And I went on and on and on and on. And I remember one Sunday, my pastor preached on eternal security, and I just fell into his arms. I was weeping, and counselors came around me. I was the one coming down the aisle, you know, crying. And, you know, I got my hands up. And, you know, I, I, and what I tried to do for a long time was, I, I, you know, I played music. I played Yolanda Adam through the storm. I'm worshiping. Y'all don't know nothing about that. You know what I'm saying? You know, I, 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 played, uh, I played witness. Uh, 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 if the enemy comes in like a flood, my God will lift up a standard again. Y'all don't know nothing about that right there. You know, I'm listening to all these different things. I'm getting in the Word for hours, and I got 20 commentaries on that text and trying to get arguments, to, but none of it was working. 
So I ended up getting in front of one of my, one of my professors, and I began saying, man, I, I think I may have lost my salvation. He said, what do you mean you lost your salvation? So I began talking to him about, I was like, man, I think, you know, when I blasphemed the spirit, and he just kind of chuckled. And I was like, why is he laughing? I'm crying. <laughs> and he said to me, he said, he said, Eric, he said, it's impossible that you blaspheme the spirit. I was like, how? I said, that's what the text said. He says, no, look how the Pharisees reacted. They were hardened when Jesus told them that. The only way you could have blasphemed the spirit is if you are hardened in your stance of unbelief. But you've pressed into God even more. He said, if you blaspheme the spirit, you would be so callous that you would have just said, forget it all, but you've been pressing in, you've been trying to worship. And I was like, something went off in me when that happened. And then all of a sudden, God was like, okay, now that this has happened, you saw that there's a chink in your armor. Now you have to go get you some scriptures to put in you about your salvation in order for you to be strengthened. So I started memorizing John 6, 37, all the Father gives to me shall come to me, and the one that comes to me I shall certainly not cast out. 1 Peter 1, 5, and your salvation is protected in heaven by faith. 1 John 5, 11 through 13, and by this we know that we have eternal life, and life is in the Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. John chapter 10 says, um, my sheep hear my voice. They know it, and I and they follow me and they I will my and my father's hand is bigger than mine and no one can pluck them out of my hands then I said well God I, I, I can walk out of your hand somebody told me that he said no my hand is too big it's non-corporeal so no matter which way you walk you can run you can jog you can get on a motorcycle and you can take an airplane but there is no way shape or form that you can get yourself out of the love of God in Christ Jesus and I began to read that up and all of a sudden a file was deleted in my spirit and next thing I knew, family of God, now I had all of this stuff in. So when the devil tried to say, God doesn't love you, you lost your salvation, I go, pow, hit him with that, John. You understand? You got to have something inside of you. You better stop letting the devil get in your mind and go crazy in your mind. Some of y'all are just battling sitting in there letting him tear your mind up and God is like man put on your helmet put on that helmet of salvation so the question is how does the helmet work because the enemy is going to continue to attack your mind so how does the helmet work easy what he does one of the ways he tries to get you brain dead in areas of your life is strongholds Strongholds. Stronghold is this family based on 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Hold on. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 6. It says, and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. But we take every thought captive, every thought. Somebody say thought. That's why a stronghold is a mindset. It's not the stuff you do. It's a way of thinking value system or thought process that hinders your growth. That's what the enemy tries to put in your mind. A stronghold also is stubborn thoughts that resist the will of God. So what the enemy would do, I don't even know how it works, you know, in the sense of how he exactly puts strongholds in our lives. How does he get in? I remember Jesus talking about 
uh, Satan filling Peter's heart. I remember Peter talking about Satan filling Ananias and Sapphira's heart. I remember Jesus talking about Judas' heart being filled uh, 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 with Satan. In other words, the enemy is not omnipotent, meaning all-powerful, but some way, shape, or form, he has the ability to deposit stuff in your mind. When you, it's not whether or not he can deposit stuff in your mind. The question is, do you grab a hold of it? And do you plant the flag in that particular area of your life and then it becomes an unbelieving belief system? What do I mean unbelieving belief system? It's not true, but it becomes a belief system because you put your confidence in it. And there's some stuff in your life from your rearing that you put your confidence in. It's some foolishness some people said to you when you were little that you put your confidence in. That it's a flag stuck there and you don't know how in the world I can move past it. Let me tell you something about the helmet of salvation. It not only protects you from what comes towards it, it also helps you to uproot the stuff that's already rooted in you. Because you don't just need protection, you need rejection. You, you need to be able to get into your life in every area of your life and begin to excavate some stuff. And you, under the sound of my voice, you know that there's some stuff in your life that needs absolute unadulterated excavation from every area of your life. And so when we talk about that, I love the Bible talks about, it says, about the spiritual mind of discernment. It says the spiritual person, 1 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, however, can evaluate everything and yet he, he or her cannot be evaluated by anyone for who has the mind of the known the mind of the lord that he or she can instruct them but you have the mind of christ we've talked about that and you having the mind of christ you have the ability to think like christ now again you have to fill your mind with truth so that that mind can be used in the way that God wants it to be used. It's like having a car and having none of the liquids that go in and in it. It's a nice looking car, but it will never start. Your mind is like a car that needs oil in it, that needs transmission fluid in it, that needs gas in it to work. The word of God is that to your life. It's not enough to have a pretty car. Now you gotta have the stuff in it that makes the car actually work. So in your life, it's the same way, family. You have to get the word in your life. And now we got that means we got to upgrade biblical literacy in the church. Yeah. Ain't nobody going to talk back on that part. It's time out for dumb Christians who let people just walk all over you and ask questions and you don't have no study time and all of this word going forth and all you're doing is coming week to week saying, I had a good word, but when are you going to go get a word? Yeah. Well, ain't nobody going to talk back on that part because we like the lazy reality of just coming to get a word, not knowing that God has empowered you with a word. It's both and, not either or. And so you have the ability to mind that, yes, God has gifted people in the body to be able to do different things, but you have to go get it yourself as well. When we talk about the mind of Christ, one of the things you have to understand is several things. Is salvation based on John 14, 26. Salvation created thinkers, not hyper-spiritual ignorance. In other words, it says, Jesus says, and when the Spirit comes, he will bring back to your remembrance all the things that I've taught you. He can't bring back to your remembrance nothing you haven't implanted in yourself. The Holy Ghost don't throw word inside of you. You got to go get that word, memorize that word, and then when you go through a situation that that word is applicable, he re resurrects it in your mind so that you can utilize it as a way to fight off what just came at you. 
Salvation also empowers you to fight demonic seduction. Peter says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 and 3, he says, I betroth you to one husband and even Christ. He says, but I am afraid that just as Satan tempted Eve uh, uh, and, and deceived her, that you be uh, deceived and pulled away from the simplicity of devotion to Christ. So three things. How you put your helmet on, I'm done after that. Very quickly. Salvation. In other words, in putting on your helmet, you have to know that you're saved from the penalty of sin. Isaiah 53. Saved from the power of sin. Romans 6. And saved from the presence of sin. Revelation 19 through 20. Penalty, power, presence. One of the things about the penalty of sin is Satan will try to make you think you lost salvation. You got to put some stuff in there on that. The power of sin, Satan will invite you to be a sin practitioner. But then you have to remember that you have been called out of slavery like Romans chapter 6 says. Not only that, but the presence of sin where God has, you have to be encouraged that everything that's going on in your life will not always be that way. In other words, you won't always have to be a warrior. One day when God calls you home, your war clothes are excavated and you can hang them up in heaven in the mansion that he has for you and you will never have to fight again. And he'll say, uh, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Come into the glory of your master. In other words, we look forward to the blessed hope when not only do we, we, we have been saved, we are being saved, but we will be fully saved, putting on off immortality, immortality and putting on immortality and be with him forever. Ever. But in your life right now, in your life now, you and I have to deal with the fact that we are brain dead in different areas of our life. And for, if you know anything about brain death, it's something that's very difficult to come back from. It was a, it was a young man, he was playing with his cousin and his sibling. And they were on a four-wheeler with the little basket on the back of it in the country. And the four-wheeler hit a ditch and was flipping over. And the kid threw his four-year-old cousin out of the four-wheeler because he knew the accident was going to be bad. At 11 years old, he had 12, 11, 12 years old, had those type of faculties. And ended up falling. The thing fell on top of him and crushed his head and his brain. And he went to the hospital. He was rushed to the hospital. Of course, brain swelling. They got the brain stabilized, but he was what's called brain dead. And as he was there brain dead, the family was told, you got 24 hours to just say goodbye to him because that's it. Even if he survives, which he won't because we'll unplug him, he'd be a vegetable. And there on that table, he must have heard what they said because by the end of the day, he started trying to move. And he was moving because they were giving up on him. And he wanted them to know that even though he has this massive injury of the head, I'm still here. And so I'm going to give you a sign of my movement not to give up on me. And so he moved the arm. <laughs> and then he wiggled a toe. And then he tried to twitch his nose and he started trying to move and all of a sudden the doctors say, I don't know how he's moving, but somehow in there, this is not involuntary actions. He's basically willing himself not to leave his body. And all of a sudden they came in and worked on him and they said, well, he'll be a vegetable and 
He began to develop even more, and they said, well, he'll be a quadriplegic. Then they said, he'll be uh, partially paralyzed. And then next thing you know, he kept killing all of the physical therapy, and it got to the point where people stopped saying, let's stop saying what he's going to be and let him decide what he's going to be. That's what has to happen in your life. You've been injured in some areas in your life and people have given up on you and you've been brain dead in so many areas of your life because the enemy has hit you in those areas. But I wish I had somebody under the sound of my voice that would twitch their nose real quick and would wiggle their arm a little quick, say, you may have given up on me, but I got some power inside of me called the power of salvation and I'm going to keep on moving and I'm going to keep on pressing because God has renewed my mind and I'm believing that God is going to restore everything in my life that my mess that my pain has shaken up and you may think I'm gonna be a vegetable and I'm gonna be a flatlining Christian but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth I'm gonna believe that I'm getting up off of my pallet and I'm gonna be a brand spanking new person in Jesus Christ and I know there are people under the sound of my voice that's you stinking thinking has ravaged you but that doesn't have to be the end of the story for you. God is saying to you today, I am able to resurrect you in these areas where the enemy has hit you. If God would give us a picture in the spirit of how many arrows are in our head, I wonder what will we all look like walking around. And God is saying, today is the day I want you to begin the process of taking those arrows and cuts and let him start dealing with those places and healing you. Every head by every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ is saving. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.